Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, guys, let's dive in. We are in Matthew chapter 7 today. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. So if you would, please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And as you do that, let me me do a review. Jesus taught us about worry. He taught us about anxiety uh, in his Sermon on the Mount. And we all learned about worry. It's all part of our human sinful nature. We all have a bad case of the normal, normals when it comes to tomorrow and, and worrying about tomorrow. And some of the key points that, that we talked about here were, number one, we worry more about death than any other reality that we face. We discussed how this life is not our best life now. It's a life of pain and trials and disappointments. It's a life of, of really dealing with sin and the struggle that comes with a fallen, broken world. We also discussed how this life prepares us for the next. I mean, if we really think about it, how sad, how how pathetic, if this were our best life now. And it's one of the reasons uh, God stationed three angels to guard that tree of life in Genesis chapter 3. He did that to protect us. He didn't want us to live in this, this fallen state of sin forever. And when you really think about it, in light of all eternity here, life is so short, isn't it? It is so short. Key point number two from last week, we worry ourselves to death, not to life. Nothing good ever comes from worry. It impacts your faith by not trusting, um, by trusting what you can see compared to what you can't see, right? We're called to live by faith and not by sight. And then also physically. Worry impacts us physically, all that stress uh, and worry, those are primary indicators that, are, are, that we're not feeling well. Key point number three, worry is a sin that needs to be confessed. We talked about that. Uh, last Wednesday, in fact, we had a great conversation on confession within our spiritual disciplines class. Uh, we confess our sins to God, so that's 1 John 1, 9, God will forgive us freely. We confess our sins to others, James 5, 16, that's, that's where true healing begins. So we've got 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins to God, we confess our sins to others, um, that's the, the horizontal part of the cross. Key point number four from last week, we are not to strive for things, we are to strive for the kingdom. When we strive for the kingdom of God, this relationship with the the one true living God, and that is through Christ, his God's son, God makes this amazing promise. All of these things that we tend to be anxious about, all these things in the back of our minds right now that we're worried about, they will be taken care of. They will be added. They will be given to us. Key point number five from last week, we're not to borrow tomorrow's trouble. 
We got enough trouble for today, don't we? We don't need to be reaching and grabbing some of that trouble and and placing it on our plate today. Uh, God has given us the capacity to deal with our problems today. However, we don't have the capacity to grab tomorrow's problems and, and try to take care of that stuff today. Key point number six, and really this is the cure to our anxiety from last week. We are to stop worrying and start worshiping. Stop worrying and start worshiping, right? We got to get our eyes off ourselves, um, back on the Lord Jesus. We got to take, you know, get our eyes off ourselves here, look up around, see what God's doing around us. Um, and really, one way to, to lower your stress level through all of this is to make that choice. Choosing to control your thoughts, not letting our, imagine, our imaginations run wild with the things that could go wrong. And to start thanking God for what he's given you. So think about it. You got clothes on your back. You got food in the fridge. You got a roof over your head. You got church friends. You got family, right? Those are great places to start. Uh, To start praising God, worshiping God, and, and to stop worrying. Well, Jesus moves us from really personal temptations of worry last week into interpersonal temptations of worrying about others today. It's an amazing transition. Um, You know, I would guess that no verse is more quoted from the Sermon on the Mount than the one that we're going to learn today. Don't judge, so you won't be judged. Now, you've heard me say many, many times that John 3.16 is the most famous Bible verse ever. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but praise God, we will have eternal life. We have to make the choice to believe that. But I'm not so sure John 3.16 is the most famous Bible verse anymore. I'm starting to think this one is. Do not judge, so you won't be judged. People even say it in the King James Version still. Judge not that ye be not judged. Going old school on us. Wow. This is one of the world's favorite verses. If you ask any unbeliever if they know any Bible verses, they may quote this one. Why is that? Because according to to the world, according to our culture, the, the mindset says that no one has the right to judge or more specifically, to condemn anybody else. People will defend their behavior, and they'll ask a question, right? Well, who gave you the right to judge me? Hmm, and that's a great question. Who gave you the right to judge me? I also think another question is is really important to consider here, and that is, who will judge me? Who will judge me? Who has the authority? Who has the power? Who has the right to judge others? Well, guys, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. The words are on the screen. If you would, please follow along with me and read out loud. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use, 
Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that splinter out of your eye? And look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrites. First take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet and tear you to pieces. Dear friends, these are the very words from the authoritative, the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible word of Almighty God. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes this, against you and you alone, I have sinned, I've done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. So Father in heaven, we, we're going to learn a, a pretty touchy and complex passage today. And Father, we pray that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that you would prepare our hearts right now um, to receive your instruction and also to apply all of these things in our lives this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Thank you. All right, let's take a deeper look here at verse 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. All right, so Jesus minces no words here. His opening statements in verses 1 and 2, everybody knows what he's talking about, right? He says it four times in the first two sentences. That word judge there is krino in the Greek, krino. And this is what it means. It means don't come to a conclusion. Don't decide before you've got all the information. Uh, don't make up your mind before you have all the facts. So let me, let me give you uh, kind of a formal definition of judgment here. It means declaring, proclaiming, and announcing another as a guilty person. It's when you declare, it's when you proclaim, you announce another person as guilty. So, Scripture has a, a lot to say about making judgment calls. And this really is a complex issue um, because there seems to be a lot of contradictions when you, when you talk about judgment. And this is one of those passages. Uh, there are over 400 times the Bible addresses this issue and even throughout you know, our studies so far within the Sermon on the Mount, if you took all of the judgment verses out so far, you wouldn't have much of a sermon left. I mean, we, we talk about making judgments today. We, we want to make sure that we're all on the same page, right? Because if, we, if we're not on the same page with this, it, this whole thing is going to get wonky really, really fast. So uh, we, we got, uh, you know, Jesus says the word hypocrites. He says that word a lot. Let me give you an example here of the confusion that this text can cause. He says, Jesus says, don't judge. Okay, we got that. But you just turn a few pages to the right, Matthew chapter 23, the very same gospel. Jesus calls the scribes, he calls the Pharisees hypocrites 
Blind Guides. My favorite is the whitewashed tombs. That's very creative. And then he calls them snakes. <laughs> so Jesus calls these guys hypocrites five times, and then he gives them reasons why. So in this process, Jesus had to make a judgment call on their behavior. So Jesus says not to judge people, and then he judges people. So do we have a contradiction in Scripture? And that's just one example, right? So what's going on here? Well, Jesus commands his disciples to stop criticizing, to stop condemning other people. So in other words, don't pick on people. Don't jump to conclusions about people. Don't make fun of, of their failures. Don't criticize other people for their faults and their weaknesses. Disciples of Jesus, we are to be the very opposite of those things. And that brings us to key point number one. In one word, disciples are to be merciful. We are to show mercy. We are to be merciful. Why is that? Jesus tells us right in verse 1, he says, so that you won't be judged. Uh-oh, that's a personal pronoun. You won't be judged. So do not judge so that you won't be judged. Now, remember in Jesus' day, he's reminding the scribes and the Pharisees, they're listening in to Jesus teaching his disciples here. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the judge and the jury. But he's reminding them today, look, they don't have the final say. And in our day, we don't either. Even though we, we still act like it. We still act like they do. Right? We've all heard the saying, the more things change, the more they, things stay the same. Here's the interesting point, though. Time, doesn't, time changes nothing when it comes to moral issues. And guys... That's why the Bible is the most relevant book you will ever read. One of the problems that we have today that Jesus didn't was that when we condemn one person, or we're not just condemning one person, we're really broadcasting our condemnation to anybody who's willing to listen. And we do that through social media, email, text messages, you name it. Um, the difference between the scribes and the Pharisees and us is that at least they tried to enforce some sort of moral standard that came from God. Now, their moral standard was distorted, no doubt. But today, we've determined as a culture that we are gods. Big difference, right? That brings us to key point number two. To judge another person's motives is to play God. To judge another person's motives is to play God. When we assume the role of the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the eternal judge, we, we imply that we've got all the facts that we need to convict someone as guilty. We declare, you know what? We, we know all there is to know within a 30-second conversation. And that's how we play God most of the time. So Jesus continues here to show us the consequences if we do that. Look at this, verse 2. He says, for you will be judged by the same standard. So whatever that pronouncement is, whatever the announcement is, whatever comes from your mouth with which you judge others, you're going to be measured by the same measure that you use. 
In other words, loose, uh, loose lips sink ships, right? This pronouncement that comes from your lips, it has a boomerang effect. Some people call this karma. Jesus calls it, you get what you sow. And it brings us to key point number three. Uh, the first principle of judgment is to begin with ourselves. It starts with us. We are to begin with ourselves. We need to do some soul searching here. Here's a great question to ask. Have I been wrong about anything, anywhere at any time? Isn't it funny how we rarely call our personal sin, sin? We like to say, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, that was a bad decision. And regardless, I want you to think about this. If you've been wrong in the past, is it possible that you're wrong about this person or this situation today? See, if we don't take the time to do some soul searching, some time to really think about those questions and to pray on these things, look what happens. Verse 2, you will be measured by the same measure that you use. So we will be judged by the same standard of knowledge and the wisdom that we claim is ours. So in other words, when we rush to judgment about a certain person or a group of people, we're really good at that. We invite God to judge us in the same exact manner. Kind of goes back to, you know, you can dish it, you can dish it out, but can you take it? And just we need to realize here, God has no double standards. If you judge someone without mercy, you too will be judged without mercy. And in the same way, if you judge someone kindly, guess what? You too will be judged kindly. Jesus says this in, in Luke's gospel, Luke 6. He says, don't judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it's going to come back against you. Forgive others and you're going to be forgiven. Now, this forgiveness is not salvation. This is, this is for our daily sins. Verse 38, uh, Jesus says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you. I love this. Press down. Shaken together. See, God's making more room for more of his grace with this. It's going to run over. It's going to pour out of that cup onto your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you give back. Now, please don't, don't take this out of, out of context, uh, kind of like the name it and claim it preachers today. This is not a, a quid pro quo type deal. When we judge unjustly if we judge without mercy what we do is we play god and we give the impression here that we are above criticism that we're the ones above judgment and really there's a significant theological point that we don't want to miss here it's not the other person that we need to worry about when we jump to conclusions it's god himself Rather than having a relationship with God that's determined by grace, what we do is we put ourselves back under the law. That's not fun. We don't want to do that. So why are we so prone to judge others? Why are we so quick to do that? The answer is sin. When in doubt, the answer seems to be either Jesus or sin around here, right? And sin makes us blind. 
So we've got some irony. Look at this. Jesus points out the irony. In verse 3, he says, Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? So Jesus, the the master teacher now, he he gives us an amazing illustration. Verse 4, he says, How can you say to your brother, Let me take that splinter out of your eye. And look, there's a beam of wood in your own. Now look, guys, some people take this this verse way too seriously. Jesus is trying to lighten the mood here. He knows we're all judgmental. We're all guilty of of judgmental sin. So let's take a look at verse 4. Let me take the splinter out of your eye. Let me do it. Because I'm better than you. Right? we got a terrible habit of trying to change people into our own likeness. You should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. Right? You guys know that bumper sticker that says, don't tread on me? I want one that says, don't should on me. <laughs> don't tell me what I should and should not be doing. I know. I mean, did this person even ask for advice? And many of us go, well, you know, I'm just trying to help. I'm just trying to help. In all reality, though, how dare we offer unsolicited advice like we do? This person's faith is not your faith. Your walk is uh, in a different place than his. You don't know this, why this person does what he does. In fact, many of us... We don't even know why we do the things we do. And yet we're going to offer unsolicited advice to someone else. Verse 4, let me take that splinter out of your eye. And look, there's this beam of wood in your own. The problem is that we can't see ourselves, or at least see ourselves objectively when we do things like this. So Jesus, this is amazing. He's actually drawing on his background as a carpenter for his for this illustration. He's very, very familiar with wood. Jesus is using hyperbolic comedy, this intentional overstatement to make a point. This is Hebrew humor. This is funny. Jesus is being sarcastic. And some of you guys thought that the gift of sarcasm was your spiritual gift, right? (laughs) Jesus has it too. Key point four is amazing. Both the splinter and the log consist of the same exact material. Both the splinter and the log consist of the same exact material. How true is it that we're so quick to pick out other people's faults when many, many times those same faults are the ones that we struggle with too? Key point number five. Whatever sins you struggle with personally are the sins that you point out in others most easily. I know that's a little long. Let me read it again. Whatever sins you struggle with personally are the sins that you point out in others most easily. You can recognize those things. King David, he gives us a perfect example here. The prophet Nathan, he comes to to David, and he says, Dave, we got a problem. There's a rich guy who's got all sorts of sheep. 
He's got some friends over, and instead of going to town and, 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 and picking one of a uh, sheep from his own herd and selecting a lamb from his own, guess what? He had the audacity to go over to his poor neighbor's house. He stole the only lamb that he had. He kills it, and he served it to its guest. So Dave loses his cool, right? He stands up and he says, Nate, you got to kill him. You got to kill that man. I think it's important to notice here that David made a judgment call without having all the information. Because, because Nathan, he says, Dave, guess what? You're the guy. You're the man I'm talking about. I mean, how many wives do you have? And you go and you stole this other man's wife. I don't know about you guys. That's a DVD I want to watch when I get to heaven. <laughs> I just do. I want to see David's face when Nathan says, you're the guy. But see, David knew he was the guy, right? We're always harshest with the sin in other people that we deal with in our own hearts. I'm guessing that, that Nathan was, as he was telling that story, Dave just kind of got a lump in his throat. He started to get butterflies in his, in his belly. So what's he do? He overreacts. So back to verse 3 here. Jesus, Jesus asked, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the beam of wood in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take that splinter let me get that splinter out of your eye. Splinter is karphos in the Greek. Many people think of this as a, like a speck, uh, like a piece of sawdust. In fact, some of the translations translate it that way. That's really not the best translation here because the splinter in this guy's eye is not insignificant. It's better to think of this as a small twig instead. So Jesus' comparison between the splinter and a wooden beam, is it's not so much a small sin versus a large sin, but really it's a large sin versus a gigantic sin. So the log in this illustration is the sin of self-righteousness. It's the, it's the same sin that Jesus has addressed over and over and over again throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Self-righteousness is one of the worst sins because really, it's a form of unbelief. It trusts in self rather than God. And yet at the same time, self-righteousness, it's also a sin of blindness. So I want you to think about this. Je Jesus used to be a carpenter, right? He used to build houses. And he used to carry these large wooden beams to create the ceilings. So he knows how heavy, he knows how awkward these beams are to carry around. He also knows that when you're carrying one of these beams, it's hard to see. So Jesus gives us a, a little, uh, a, a, a little. he gets a little bit more serious in verse 5. He calls this man a hypocrite. He says, first, first thing you got to do is take the beam of wood out of your eye. And then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. So question. Why does Jesus call this person a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a pretender. He, he's, he's an actor. Well, because he is either blind himself or he definitely has some sort of distorted vision. 
And by ignoring his own sin here, he sees only his supposed righteousness about himself. That's the power of sin. It's amazing, isn't it? When we have planks in our own eyes, we consider them specks. And when we see a speck in somebody else's eyes, we consider that a plank. So what Jesus is asking us here is this. Will you not stop and think about your own sin for just a moment before you open your mouth? Verse 5, he says, hypocrite, first take the beam out of wood out of your, your own eye, and then you will see clearly. Then. So in other words, how does a person with a six-foot beam stuck in his head even get close enough to see the twig in somebody else's eye? How do you remove this massive wood beam sticking out of your own head? Let me give you the process for the wooden beam removal out of your own head. You ready? Two things. Number one, confession. And number two, repentance. This is why we spent so much time talking about confession and repentance last week. Once that confession is made, the hard work of repentance begins. Repentance is a decision to stop doing what you've always done. That's not the easiest thing in the world to do, is it? Repentance is only accomplished by the grace of God, by the way. So once you find yourself playing judge and jury here, confess your sin and run from it, and then, and then turn around from that and, and, and run into the arms of Jesus and cling to him. Verse 5 continues, he says, And then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Notice here that this person is a brother. That's really an important distinction for us today. This is not some random person off the street. This is a person that we know. This is a person we care about. And yet, how often are we yelling at people we'll never even meet? We're scoffing at people on the news. Pfft. Can't believe he did that. Pfft. What a jerk. We do that all the time, right? We call them names. We make all sorts of judgments about people or groups of people we will never, ever meet. And by the way, when was the last time you got something stuck in your own eye? It's not pleasant, is it? Get that little speck out of your eye? That's a difficult thing to do. It's a very delicate procedure because there's nothing more sensitive than your eye. So consider what's required for getting that speck out, right? It's, it's gentleness. It's carefulness. It's patience. You've you got to have sympathy for the other person. And within the spiritual realm, Jesus is teaching it's even more delicate to do that. Verse 6, he says, Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet. They're going to turn and tear you to pieces. So what in the world's going on here? We just spent the last 35, 40 minutes, Jesus telling us how not to judge, and now he's telling us to make a judgment call. Once again, the irony, right? What's going on? Jesus is not referring to executing judgment here. 
He's, he's talking about acting as a judge and jury. He's making a transition from judge and jury to adding something new. He's adding an ingredient, and it's called wisdom. So Jesus is, is referring to discernment in verse 6. Discernment. So key point number 6. Jesus forbids the open criticism of others. He does not forbid the silent evaluation of others. Jesus forbids the open criticism of others. He does not forbid the silent evaluation of others. This distinction is found in both the Old Testament and the New. Starting in the Old Testament, we see it here in Psalm 119. The psalmist writes, Teach me good judgment and discernment, for I rely on your commands. In the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul Romans 12, 2, he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, what is the pleasing and the perfect will of Almighty God. Now, the book of Proverbs does something very, very interesting here with discernment. It compares and, and contrasts discernment with foolishness. Uh, there's a lot more than three. I'm going to give you three here. Proverbs 10, 13. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of the one who lacks sense. Proverbs 15, 14. A discerning mind seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silence, discerning when he seals his lips. So key point number seven, judgment is done through announcement and discernment through silence. Judgment is done through announcement and discernment through silence. So let me give you some obvious examples here. Would you let a convicted child molester babysit your children? It's discernment to make that decision. It's a judgment when you start talking about what awful people all child molesters are. See the difference? Would you allow a homeless person to live in your spare bedroom? It's discernment to say yes or no. It's, it's judgment to say no and then paint all homeless people as lazy drug addicts. It's one thing to discern how people dress and talk and, and live their personal lives. It's judgment to correct them in all of these areas. Now, I'm not talking about family issues. I'm not talking about raising kids or grandkids here. Uh, the context is basically sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. And see, it's within the evaluation and discernment of other people that Jesus addresses in verse 6. That's why he makes the transition here. In order to obey Jesus' Jesus's previous command of not judging, we have, to, we have to discern what's good and what's not good. Verse 6, he says, don't give what is holy to dogs. What is he talking about? What's holy? What's this holy thing? 
Well, to understand the holy thing, we got to take a step back. We have to consider Matthew's gospel from a big picture here. Um, both John the baptizer and Jesus both preached the same message, didn't they? They said this, Matthew 4, 17. They said, repent. Why? Why are we re to repent? Why are we to change our ways? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So the entire theme of, Jesus, of Matthew's gospel is how Christ is the king of the kingdom. So this holy thing that Jesus is referring to is the gospel. It's the good news. It's the kingdom of God. So when he says, don't give what is holy to dogs, he's saying, don't give, what is, don't give the gospel to, the, to dogs. Why dogs? Well, dogs in Israel were not like our beloved pets today. Uh, they were despised scavengers. They, they were held in the same regards as pigs in a pigsty. So in other words, dogs and pigs, here in verse 6, they represent ungodly people. And Jesus points out that his disciples, we must have discernment not to take the holy things, the gospel, the kingdom of God, and give it to people who are hostile unbelievers. When people not only reject the gospel, but they insist on mocking and reviling it, we're not to waste God's truth attempting to, to win them over. So who are the dogs? Well, they are people who make it their business to hate the kingdom of God. They hate Christ, and if you're a Christian today, they're going to hate you. Now, Jesus is not telling us to, to hate them back, of course. What he is saying is to let them be. We are to share our faith, but you know what? If they're irritated, have a great day and, and, and let them be. The Apostle Paul models this. He went, to, uh, he went to Mars Hill in Athens, Greece, and he purposely gave them his version of the three circles. When Paul was finished, some embraced what he said. Others made fun of Paul. They point and laughed at him, and yet others wanted to hear more. So what do you do? For those who wanted to hear more, he had all the time in the world. He was going to pour his life into theirs. But for those who refused to hear the gospel, he didn't spend any more time with them. He left them to God. Verse 6 continues, don't, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before the pigs. This would have made the, the disciples laugh because no Jew would ever physically put a string of pearls on an unclean, unkosher animal like a pig. They wouldn't have done that. However, spiritually speaking here, Jesus' point is very serious. So let's look at it again. He says, don't give what is holy to dogs. Toss your pearls before pigs. Why? Why, Jesus? Or they will trample. They're going to trample those things under their feet. They're going to turn and tear you to pieces. Notice here that Jesus doesn't say might or maybe. He says they will trample you. These same pigs will not only trample the jewelry under their feet, but they're going to turn and they're going to attack you. The lesson's clear, right? Disciples who have no discernment about people. Christians who ignore the fact that somebody is about to get physically violent with them, they will get hurt. We got to have discernment in this area. Proverbs 23.9, don't waste your breath on fools. 
for they will despise the wisest advice. As Christians, we, we got to do this, guys. We got to exercise discernment. Not everybody's a sheep. Coming from Jesus' own mouth, right? Some people are dogs, others are hogs, all right? And even others, that they are wolves. And the wolves are most dangerous. They're, they're the wolves in sheep's clothing. And then finally, other people are sheep. But that doesn't mean that we allow other people to pull the wool over our own eyes. Even Jesus modeled this for us, right? Jesus refused to talk to King Herod in Luke chapter 23. So let's go back to my question at the very, very beginning. The world asked, who gave you the right to judge me? As Jesus has taught us today, we as Christians, we don't have the right to judge unbelievers. We don't know their background. We don't know their worldview. We don't know their, their heart. We don't know their agenda. And yet, at the same time, we are called to share the gospel with them. But we also have to ask that second question. Who's going to judge me? Who is the judge? Hebrews 12, 23. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. The Lord is the judge. And guys, judgment day is coming. It's sooner than we think. I want to leave you with two verses here for you to think about as you leave. Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, I will tell you on that day, the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Father in heaven, this is a weighty passage this morning. And we have all failed in this area of judgmental sin. So, Father in heaven, we pray right now corporately that you would, that you would forgive us. That you would forgive us of judging people without having all of the, the knowledge and, and having all of the facts and, and making assumptions. Forgive us, Lord, for playing God. For hearing the news and, and making these judgmental calls and calling people names or groups of people, getting involved in, in, in politics and, and, and making these judgment calls, we clearly do not have all of the, the answers. Father, please forgive us for our sin. Lord, I pray that uh, this passage that we would continue to read it this week, that we would continue to ponder it this week and ask you where we need to change. Why am I so quick to judge a certain group of people or a certain person in my life? And Lord, we pray for the self-control to keep our mouth shut when we need to keep it shut and open it only when it glorifies you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.